portion of God's Word that we're going to take a little bit closer look at today from Isaiah chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 1. We'll just read through it first. So it says, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will disp settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is God's word. I should have given you a little warning beforehand, but maybe you automatically were doing it. Were there any visuals that were maybe coming across your mind as I read those words? I mean, there's a whole bunch of mountain talk in those first couple of verses. And, and I'm wondering, you know, what, what comes into your mind when you hear things about, like, mountains? Maybe you're thinking about Peavine Mountain right over here, which stands, you know, 8,200 feet into the air. Or if you're a skier, maybe you're thinking about Mount Rose, which, because you know, 8,260 is where the snow is at. Or, or maybe if you're a hiker, you know, 10-7 is the summit. Or maybe if you're a traveler and you go I-80 west, you know, you're thinking more of Donner as your mountain at standing at 7,200. Or if you're a little more local, maybe you're thinking of Fred's Mountain, uh, which stands at 71. Elevation makes a big difference in this part of the, <laughs> part of the world, doesn't it? I was reminded of that just a few weeks ago when it was snowing here in the North Valleys and I had to drive to Spanish Springs for something and it was bone dry, right? The 500 feet of elevation made a big difference, made all the difference in the world. And yet nothing compared to the difference that Isaiah talks about today when he talks about the highest of the mountains. Looking at these words again, he says, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. And it makes you wonder, okay, what's so special about this place, about this mountain, that the whole world would stream to it? I mean, by, by way of comparison, uh, right now the World Cup is going on. And if you don't know, a lot of people don't know about the World Cup. It's a soccer tournament. Um, but do you know how many nations are streaming to Qatar right now? 32. That's only 16% of the world's nations participating in the World Cup. Not very many. But then, what is so special about this thing that all the nations of the world are going to stream to it? What's so special about this mountain of the Lord that Isaiah talks about today? That's, that's kind of what we want to answer. But before we, we really dig into it, a little bit of background is helpful. I think especially a little bit of background about how God often communicates to his people through the eyes of his prophets, of the people who lived before Jesus. Uh, they often would use, so a guy like Isaiah, for example, he lived 700 years before Jesus. 
Uh, but, but the way that God would communicate, we often call them mountain range prophecies. Um, it's helpful to understand this because, because God, when he, God is eternal, which meaning he's timeless, right? And so uh, a prophet, he, he maybe sees uh, all these things that God says is going to happen, but it's like standing at that little base there, and you see that all the, the mountaintops, they look like they're so close together from a distance. And that even happens here. You're driving, you, you're going to that mountain range, and they seem so close together until you hike them or until you drive them, right? Then they're miles apart. That, that's that's kind of how God worked through his, his prophets, uh, that they would see all these prophecies that seem so close together, but there's actually a lot of distance in between them. And, and that's what happens uh, here, too, even how God fulfills prophecies. You know, maybe one prophet would see it being fulfilled here, but then it, it gets fulfilled again a little bit later, a little bit differently, and then it often has the greatest fulfillment some far distance in the future. Now, when Isaiah's talking about here, he's kind of seeing multiple fulfillments of prophecies. He says, this is going to be fulfilled the greatest. It's going to be the highest mountain, eventually, that we're talking about, where where what he's talking about gets fulfilled. So what exactly is this highest of the mountain? Knowing that, that that's kind of the perspective, that, that there's maybe multiple mountains that Isaiah sees or that God reveals to him. Already, already in the, uh, uh, when, we, when we start here with Isaiah, uh, to understand that it, what he's talking about with the highest of mountains has nothing to do with elevation, okay? I mean, the mountain of the Lord that, or the place that would have been called mountain of the Lord in Isaiah's time, it was only 2,600 feet in the air, all right? We're not talking about some high, but when he says, we're going to go to the highest of the mountains say, think more of like the chief of the mountains, the most prominent of the mountains, the most important of the mountains, the mountain of the mountains, the king of the mountains. Uh, in fact, he uses very royal language. He says it's exalted, Exalted above all other hills. Why? Why? And again, uh, this is where this, having this perspective maybe helps us. Already at the time, actually long before Isaiah, there was some mountains, what, a place called the Mountain of the Lord, which was pretty significant to the people that Isaiah was writing to. About 2,000 years <clears throat> Before Jesus was ever born, and this is about 1,300 years before Isaiah, this prophet, was on the scene, uh, God came to a man by the name of Abraham, and he asked him to do the unthinkable. He said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, named Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you about, that I will show you. And to Abraham's credit, the very next morning, he starts climbing that mountain. And, and I, Isaac, he's pretty old by this point. And he's no dummy. And he says, uh, Dad, um, I see the wood. I see the, I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And some of you maybe perhaps know this story. If you don't, you can read about it in Genesis 22. Uh, Abraham says, don't worry. The Lord, the Lord will provide. And when they get up there, sure enough, 
before Abraham carries out the deed of sacrificing his son to show dedication to God, God steps in, intervenes, and provides a ram to be a substitute for Isaac. And from that point on, there was a common phrase that said, on the mountain of the Lord, the Lord will provide. And so that became a very prominent story, a prominent uh, mountain for God's people of the Old Testament. Fast forward about a thousand years. There's a king by the name of Solomon who wants to build a temple on that same mountain, a temple to honor God. And and it is a gold-laden temple. If I just read this on that, that someone figured out in today's economy uh, what, what it would cost to build. It would be about $140 billion worth. That's 70 times more than the Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. All right? Um, and so you could say, okay, you know, maybe people wouldn't be so anxious to come to the Lord's Mountain just to, you know... If you go back to Abraham, I don't know if, if I would say, hey, 3,000 years ago, someone had died almost on top of Peavine. Would you say, oh, I got to put my hiking shoes and get up there right after church? No. Someone almost died? Nope. No big deal. Uh, but, but here, when, when Isaiah says, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. If, if I know there's a temple up there that's $140 billion worth of gold, oh, yeah, maybe I'd want to go see that. that that'd be something you know, I'd put that on my menu for sightseeing to take guests to, to go see if they ever come and visit us. And, and Isaiah, he, he climbed that mountain numerous times throughout his life. Uh, he, he, he saw that temple with his own eyes. But was it a place where all nations would stream to? Isaiah would go there. The rest of the Jews would go there, the people of Israel, but not people from all the world. And what also lets us know that's not what makes this mountain the highest of mountains is because the people that Isaiah was writing to, they actually lived after that temple would be destroyed. And so you can't, it doesn't really make sense for Isaiah to say, come, let's go up this, let's go to the, the mountain of the Lord to see a bunch of rubble, right? Um, I don't think, again, if, if I were to say, oh, let's go up to the top of Peavine right after church because there's some stones up there. I, I don't know how many of you would follow me up huh? other than for exercise. Jeff would follow me up. All right, Jeff would lead. Uh, and so what is it? What is it that, that leads Isaiah to be this cheerleader and say, come on, guys, Come to the mountain of the Lord. What made it so exalted in his eyes? It was because in his grace, in his grace, God allowed Isaiah to see past a pl- that, that mountain where it was a place where a father almost sacrificed his son and to look into the future and to see it was a place where a heavenly father sacrificed his son. God in his wisdom and in his grace allowed Isaiah to look forward, to see that this place that he was talking about, a mountain, wasn't just a place where a temple was destroyed, but he was able to look forward to see Jesus, who would say, destroy this temple. 
and I'll raise it again in three days. God in his grace, as Isaiah speaks here, allowed Isaiah to to look forward and see Savior, a, a Savior Jesus who would march into Jerusalem as we heard about today, who would march into Jerusalem as king, as an exalted one. And then not only would he march in as king, but he would prove himself as king five days later, five days later, as he would would prove himself king over sin, as he was pierced for our transgressions, as he was crushed for our iniquities, as he hung on a cross. In his wisdom and in his grace, God allowed Isaiah to look forward to a day when he would see Jesus as king over death, as he would walk away from a tomb. And that's what made Isaiah excited. That's what made him shout to the crowds to, and, and prophesy, Become! Let's go! Let's go to the mountain of the Lord. Why? Not because it's an awesome place. It's not that he was just putting a pin on a map and saying, Let's, we got to go to this place. No, it, it's not so much about latitude or about longitude. What Isaiah is pointing out is what I would call lorditude. He says, I want you to come to a place where you can see that Jesus is Lord. I want you to come to a place where you can see Jesus is King. That's what he invites here. So where do we go? Where can we see that? Does that mean we all have to, you know, should I have a ticket agent right out here and you can all book your tickets to go to Israel right after church today? No. Again, it's not so much about a pin on a map. Look closer at what Isaiah says here. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. Or you jump down there, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. What Isaiah is saying is, hey, let's let's go to the house of God. When you go to the house of God, where where, where Jesus gathers with his people, that's, that's where you get to see Jesus as king. That's where you get to see uh, this, this most exalted mountain. I mean, look at what happens here. He says, you look at those bottom three lines. For what happens there, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word from the, word, from the Lord of Jerusalem. He says, that's what's so special about this mountain. That's what makes it so grand, so exalted, is because God speaks to us here. In the house of God, you hear the voice of God. That's what made this mountain the the loftiest, the highest. It's a place where God spoke. And that's a good reminder for us of what makes this place special, too. I mean, when we talk about God's house, there, there are many houses of God across the world. Right? But wherever God gathers with his people, that's his home. And that's where the voice of God can be heard. And I was reminded of of that uh, just a little bit this last week. Uh, last Sunday after worship, we had a, a, a family forum, and I, 
I asked the question, I, I said, you know, um, what's one of the blessings that you realize or that you enjoy uh, from Light of the Valleys, the name of our congregation? And it warmed my heart to read the answers. I heard things like family feel or friendly or mission-focused or location, all things that we, we strive to accomplish as a congregation. None of those were wrong answers. There was no wrong answers. But I appreciated this one right answer, too, where someone wrote this. He said, hearing the true word of God every week. And I don't know if we think about that, if we thought about that when we climbed out of our beds this morning and made the climb to here. You know, maybe we were thinking about a whole bunch of other things. Uh, you know, as I drove here, I'm like, oh, I really hope I get that sermon nailed down this morning and memorized it a few more times this morning. Or maybe you were thinking, oh, I wonder who's going to preach today. Is it going to be Vicar? Is it going to be Pastor? You know, or, or I don't know what we were thinking today, but were we thinking that we would hear the voice of God speak to us today. Every time we open up this book, every time this word is expounded, every time we sing a hymn that's based on this word, every time we confess our faith using a creed that is a summary of God's word, what happens? God is speaking to you. Do you think uh, I mean, treasure that. You know, this time of year, we'll see these commercials with, with soldiers phoning back to their family, maybe with Zoom, or maybe it'll be a Verizon commercial for, for them on the phones and showing the good connections. And you'll see tears rolling down on the, on the, other, on the family's face as they're able to hear the voice of their loved one. We get to hear the voice of God. You know, God, to, to have that point home, driven home today, that God speaks through his church. God speaks through his temple, wherever his people are gathered. And when God speaks, that's what changes our lives. And you look at how Isaiah puts it. He says, after the people would hear hear you know climb to the mountain of the lord and they hear god teach and they hear his word and they they hear all these things look at what i isaiah goes on to say he says uh, they will beat uh, their their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore things change after you hear god's word it brings peace now, some of you maybe have heard these words before. I've never been there personally, but if you've ever traveled to New York, if you go outside the United Nations building, uh, you'll see this statue. And you can't see the little engraving probably at the base there, but it's quoting, it's quoting these very words. It says, uh, we, shall, we shall beat our swords into plowshares. How's that going for them? Right? For the last 70 years... All nations have come there. 193 nations represented. And yet, if, unless I'm mistaken, there's still wars. And there's still rumors of wars. There's still people carrying swords or guns or bombs or tanks. Or there's still people 
that are training for war. So how do you make sense of this? Because peace is not found in negotiations. Peace is not found in treaties. True peace, lasting peace, is only found in Jesus. You know, and I was reminded of that last week too. As I looked at some of your answers from that family forum, when someone wrote, one blessing you appreciate, I finally have peace in my heart and my mind. That's not a coincidence. That's what God promises. When God promises that through his word, through what Jesus has done for you, you have peace. Peace in your heart and peace in your mind. And it's not just you uh, that gets to enjoy that. It's not just you for when, 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 that this truth stands firm, that when his word goes out, peace comes in. That's a promise that God makes for all nations. That's a promise that is actually being fulfilled right here today. I mean, you look, at, you look again at what Isaiah says here. He says, all nations will stream to this message that says, hey, you're going to have peace. Um, that's being fulfilled right here. I don't know when I, I said, I asked you before to, to kind of visualize uh, this, this text, and you were maybe thinking about Peavine or Donner or Mount Rose, but I don't know if you saw you, but there you are. I, you see... Isaiah did not fly the stars and stripes on his front porch. And yet, he was a completely different nation. But here you are, many of you, born and bred Americans, and you're streaming to the same mountain of the Lord, uh, streaming to the same message uh, that Isaiah found so comforting. In fact, it's not just Americans. You know, Even in this little house, this little room of God's house, we're, we're just one room in his great temple. You know, we have people from Argentina and people from Chile and people from Australia and people from Mexico and people from Scotland, and maybe those are only the ones I know. And maybe you guys have more yet that I haven't heard about. We're fulfilling this prophecy that, that all nations get to stream to this message that Jesus is brings peace to you whoever you are and again that shouldn't surprise us because why Jesus is in fact the savior of all nations you know last week I was at a or no a couple weeks ago I flew to Milwaukee for a, a missions meeting and and they were showing us all these video clips of how God's Word is impacting people all around the world. And it's, it's kind of neat to see that uh, we're a relatively small church body. We're part of a national association. But right now we're reaching more people globally on a weekly basis than we are here in our, in our country. Uh, but, but to hear all these stories, and I, didn't have, I don't have access to all the video clips, uh, but I was able to, to jot down this one quote 
and, and grab a picture. Uh, this is a guy from the Philippines. And, and just to hear him speak on that video, and I'll share these words with him. He starts off, he says, my life was similar to you. And right away, I'm like, what? I have nothing in common with you, right? But then you hear him say, I was out of balance with things like worry, stress, anxiety, depression, a broken relationship with God. But I believe balance comes with God's help when we hear biblical truth. That's what the word brings. That's what biblical truth brings. <laughs> that's what, what Jesus brings. And that's, that's why Isaiah said, let's go. Let's go to that mountain of the Lord where we hear Jesus speak, where we hear, where we see Jesus, exalted King Jesus, sitting at the top of the mountain, sitting on his throne in his temple, in his church, working all things out for the benefit of his people. Because it's Jesus who brings us balance. You know, he sees how we're so out of balance with all these things, worry, stress, anxiety, all that other stuff, depression. And he says, throw it off of yourselves and throw it onto him. Cast all your anxiety on me, he says. And then he makes us stand firm as he fixes our relationship with God. And so, because that's what he does as king, might our prayer simply be today, especially in this time of the year, come. Come, Lord Jesus, as our king. Come, come and as king, giving me peace of mind. Come and give me peace of heart. Come and give me that peace that transcends all understanding. Amen. Please stand.